talking about awakenings, awakenings, things that God is awakening in our hearts and in our souls. And, and, and this morning, the subject that we want to talk about is this whole idea of awakening to help, awakening to help. And as I thought about that, I thought there's a little bit of a dilemma internally for me, because many times as I teach and as I share the truth with you, I, I really ask God that it would somehow impact me personally first, that somehow God would, would stir something in me. And yet as I thought about this, it was, I was quite conflicted, because it's very often that I will be stuck trying to figure something out and my wife will say to me, can't you figure it out on your own? And the reality of that question is really twofold. The first part of it is when she says, can't you figure it out on my own? The answer is usually no. No. I'm not mechanically minded. I don't know how to work with cars or engines. Um, I'm very limited in my ability to build things. I do not take things apart and then try to put them back together. I have no capacity for that whatsoever. Um, and I realize that that is uh, counterintuitive to the community that I live in called Lancaster County. Because I think every man that's born in Lancaster County just is born with this fix-it gene. You know, that just comes with this capacity to fix things and repair things and put things back together. And they kind of have a little MacGyver gene thrown in there in the mix, you know. So just whatever you have, you fix it and make it work. The other component for me that makes this difficult is I don't like to do things by myself. That's a little odd, but I'm always looking for who I can do something with me. And for men in general, that's a little bit of an anomaly because guys are generally, let me do it by myself and I'll take care of it. And so as I thought about this subject, it was hard for me to make that personal connection. But I realize it's true for many that are listening, especially the guys this morning, that finding a way to solve a problem and doing it by yourself is your sweet spot. You are in heaven if you get to do that. Um, but this morning we're going to talk about the times in our lives when that doesn't work, the times in our lives where we are stuck, where we can't find a solution on our own. And the truth is, if we're honest, if we're honest, we have all been there. We have all been there when there's been a choice or decision, and we are just like these guys in this picture. We are stuck, and we have to find some help. We have to find a few buddies that are going to help us get out of that dilemma. And maybe it's not a project at home that you're fixing. Maybe it's with your finances. And we just had a group of people that finished going through Financial Peace University. And, and I don't know their stories. I don't know if they were stuck with their finances. But they were at this place where they said, I want to get some more help. I want to learn how to navigate this on my own. Maybe you found yourself that way relationally with relationships. We you found yourself just stuck. And you're a little bit like this next creature that's going to come up on, this, on the screen. You know, you're flipped upside down and you have no idea how to turn yourself over. and Maybe it's a relationship you're in and you're trying to figure out how to get out. Maybe it's a relationship you're not trying to find a way to get out, but you just can't figure out what to do. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you wiggle and squirm, you can't find a way to get yourself out of that dilemma that you are in. And we've been talking about this whole idea of finding your way back to God. And in this journey of finding our way back to God, there's a few stops along the way that we've explored. The first is this whole idea, this wager, that God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. We talked about the first week that we were going to challenge ourselves to ask this question, God, if you're really real, and the truth is most people believe that God is real. 90% of our culture believes that God exists, but not many people experience God. Not many people have a sense and awareness that God is real in their lives. And then we started talking about these awakenings. We talked about the awakening to longing, this longing to be loved, 
that God has placed deep inside of us. And the prayer was, God, if You are real, awaken Your love. Make Your love real to me. And then we looked at the fact that if God has not only created us to love, He has a purpose for our lives. And so, God, would You make real Your purposes for my life? And then last week we talked about regret. Regret. And as we talked about this subject, many of us have things in our lives that we look back and we're like, "Ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. wish I wouldn't have done that. Um, And so there's this real, real sense for all of us that there's some things in our past we wish would not have happened. And so what do we do when that occurs? What do we do? Well, for most of us, when things that we regret happen, we mostly want to try to wipe our hands from that and just move on, right? But regrets have this amazing capacity to resurface over time if we don't close the book on them well. And so we talked about that when faced with regrets, we need to own our part. What's our part when we've done something we regret? And not only own it, but what's our, what do I need to confess? Often with regrets, there's something we've done wrong. There's some way we've sinned. We looked at the story of Joseph's brothers, how they did this horrible thing to their brother. And they never dealt with it properly, and it resurfaced 20 years later. And only after we've owned it and confessed it can we then leave it. And in leaving it, allow God to create in us something new. But too often we jump from regret to leaving it and we skip these important steps in our lives. And so today we want to look at another awakening and that's the awakening to help. Awakening to help. We've been looking at the story of the prodigal son. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Luke 15, that's where we're going to be this morning. Luke 15, um, the page number's on the screen. If you want to use the Bibles in the seats there or use your phone or tablet to follow along. And in this story, it's a story that Jesus tells, and he's telling three stories. And, and the writer's careful to tell us who's listening into these stories. There's two groups of people listening in. There's some religious leaders, they're known as the Pharisees, and then there's another group of people, and they're just called sinners. Quite an odd group that's sitting there together listening to Jesus. And as Jesus is telling, he's laying out for them three different stories. And the first story is about a lost coin and how this coin gets found. And the second is a story about a lost sheep and the story of how the sheep gets found. And the third story that we've been spending our time is about a lost son and how the son is found. And the story of the son goes like this. A young man, the younger of two sons, came to his dad and said, Dad, it's time for me to strike out on my own. I'm ready to hit the road. But instead of just saying, time for me to move on, he says, oh, and by the way, give me everything that's come due to me when you die. I want it now. I want it now. And so the father, instead of saying, no, I don't think that's a good idea, or can we sit down and talk, or let's discuss the options and try to find a way to navigate, he moves and makes it happen as quickly as he possibly can. And so the son leaves, and it says that he goes to a faraway land, And he parties, he spends it all until he's got nothing left. At that same moment in time, a famine hits in the land where nobody has any extra. Everybody just has enough to survive. And so when he goes to all these people that he threw parties for and he splurged lavishly on, all they said was, nope, nothing extra, you're going to have to find it somewhere else. And so the son can only find work 
feeding the hogs and the pigs, which for a Jewish young man would be the utter humiliation for him. And as he's doing this, he comes to his senses, the story says, and he has this awakening, and he realizes what his part is. He realizes his involvement, and he turns and begins to think, maybe I should go back and just offer to work for my dad. My goodness, my servants, they, the servants my dad has, they have it better than I do. Maybe I can just, maybe he'll hire me on as a servant. That's the best I could hope for. And so that's where we left our story last time. And so if you're there in Luke 15, um, look at verse 20. Verse 20 it says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And today what I want to do is I want to look at three progressions that happen in the life of this young man that are part of this awakening to help that God is inviting us into. And the first awakening is awakening to make a decision. Awakening to make a decision. Look at verse Verse 20, it says the first thing he did is he simply got up. He simply got up. And you say, well, that doesn't seem like much of a, a significant response. But the truth is, when people find themselves in a situation, when they find themselves in a hole, when they find themselves stuck, the first thing that they have to do is they have to get up and they have to make a decision. They have to make a decision. They want to get out of the situation they're in. They want to get out. You know, we have people that, contact our church periodically and ask us for help. They're, they're stuck. They're in a bad spot. Sometimes they've lost their home. They've lost their place where they're living. Sometimes they're living in their car. Sometimes they're living in a motel. Sometimes they don't have money to pay their bills. It hasn't gotten that bad yet. And as we very much want to help them, we don't just want to help them. We want to try to find out, do they want to get out of the hole that they're in? Do they want to get out of it? And what we often painfully discover is not everybody who asks for help wants to get out of the hole that they're in. Some just want to stay in the hole and see if you're willing to throw something down so they can survive. They don't want a ladder. They don't want a rope. They just want to stay there. And we think, well, why would someone want to do that? But think about your own life. And can you think of a situation in your life where you've been content to stay in a place that you know is not good for you, you know is not good for your spouse, you know is not good for your family, but you've just chosen to stay there. And people have offered help and you're like, I'm fine. And you know you're not. Your spouse, your girlfriend, your boy said, you're not in a good place. But you haven't chosen yet to make a decision to do something about your situation. And the first thing that this guy had to do is he had to make a decision to do something. His decision is reflected in the words that he got up. He simply got up. Because he was in a bad spot. He had disrespected his family. I mean, think about his father having to sell off assets and liquidate them quickly so that he could give his son his money. Think about what it would be like as a father to have to say to your, your co-workers and your neighbors and your friends and your family, yeah, I've got to sell this. Why do you have to sell it? Well, Joe wants, to, he wants his money, and I'm going to give it to him. Really? Why does he want that? I don't really know why, but he just wants it now. Completely disrespected his father. And now, to add on top of that, he's completely destitute, doesn't have a penny to his name. He's fighting the hogs for food. 
The best thing you can do when you find yourself between a rock of disrespect and a hard place of being destitute is to come to your sense and drink a big dose of humility. And that's what this guy needed to do. But he had to decide if he was going to do that. Have you ever found yourself saying, I need help? I need help? Have you ever found yourself saying, God, I need help? God, I need help? And and that's a place to start when you're awakening to help. But it has to go beyond just, I need help. It has to go beyond just a decision. Because if your only decision is to acknowledge you need help, you will not make much progress. You'll be a lot like these people on this video. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? No. Sorry. Somebody! Hello? There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help. Now, would somebody please do something? don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's nothing else left to do. Sit. Hello? Hey, don't worry about it. I'll fix it in a second. <laughs> he said he could fix it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's more like it. He says he can fix it. You know, it's not just enough to decide you want help or you need help. You've got to do more than just decide, right? You've got to do more than just decide. You need to um, choose a direction. You need to choose a direction. And that's what the son did. It says not only did he get up, but then he went. There was movement that took place. There was movement. He went beyond just saying something's got to change. There was movement in his life. He made a decision to change his course. And change is not easy to make happen. And you can't make somebody else change, can you? You can't make somebody else change. Individuals come to my office and they say, John, can you, can you do something about my spouse? Or can you do something with my kid or with my student? And I say to them, do they want to do something? And they say, uh, not really. I say, sorry. Can't really help someone if they don't want to change. You see, you know when we are willing to change? We're willing to change when we get to the end of ourselves and we're utterly discontent. As long as the status quo is okay with us, we're never going to change. You have to be utterly discontent with the status quo for change to happen in your life. And when change does start to happen, it happens slowly. Very, very slowly. Change does not happen quickly. Uh, it's a little bit like a, a Tootsie Pop. Um, actually, I have two of them here. Uh, you know, does anybody want a Tootsie Pop this morning? Anybody want one? I have two to give away here. You want one? All right, here you go, Christy. You ready? You've got to catch it. 
All right, good catch. I got one more. Anybody else want? I got another one. Oh, man, all the way back there. All right, this is going to be a challenge. Here comes Duck Paul. Oh, okay, we got it back to the back wall. The ushers will get it for you. Now, you only have two requirements with that Tootsie Pop. You have to open it right now, and you have to start licking it. You can't bite it. You have to start licking it, and you have to keep track of how many licks until you get to the center. Okay, so start right now, because I'm going to ask you later. You've got to start right now. So, all right. But that's what change is like for us, isn't it? And if you go crunching on that thing, you're going to do some damage inside. But that's what happens when we try to rush change, right? We try to force change. We're trying to make it happen. And I'm guilty of that. I'm as guilty of that as anybody. When there's a problem, when there's a dilemma, um, no sucking on it, Christy. You have to lick. I saw that thing in your mouth over there. You think I can't see that up here? She's sticking the whole thing in her jaw over there. You know, that's not what I said. There you go. All right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But when there's a problem and change, I'm, I'm the first one to say, okay, what do we got to do? Let's map out solutions. Let's make this happen. But change is slow. Change is slow. Change takes time. I, I came across this quote to describe God as it relates to change. And I want you to listen to these words. In our spiritual journey, God chooses to try our patience, first of all, by His slowness. God is slow. We are fast. It's because we are here but for a time and God has been here for eternity. There's something greatly overawing in the extreme slowness of God. Let it overshadow our souls, but let it not disquiet them. You see, we must wait for God long, meekly, in the wind and in the rain, in the thunder, in the lightning, in the cold, in the dark. Wait and God will come. He never comes to those who do not wait. He does not go down their road. When He comes, go with Him, but slowly. A little bit behind. When He quickens His pace, be sure of it before you quicken yours. But when He slackens, slacken at once. And do not be slow, but silent, very silent, for He is God. Now, God's never in a hurry. Never in a hurry. I often am. And so in this process of awakening to help, this awareness of I I need to make a decision, there's something in my life that I'm not content with where it is, and and God's brought me this place of discontent, and I want to change, and so there's a a decision to change, but then there's got to be a direction. And that direction is going to take time. And we have to ask ourselves, which direction is my life going right now? Am I moving towards Jesus or am I moving away from Jesus? Am I following in His footsteps or am I making my own way? What direction is your life headed? Because if you are awakening to help, if you're aware that something in your life that you are discontent, you have to decide which direction you are going to go. Often, In a journey of faith, we must get to a low point in our lives before we will find ourselves crying out to Jesus for help. And it's when we get to that point in our lives, at the end of our rope, that we're often ready to go in a new direction. Paul puts it this way in the message translation paraphrase in Romans 12. He says, so here's what I want you to do with God's help. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, and I want you to put it before God as an offering. 
Embrace what God does, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Go ahead to the next one. I'm sorry. Nope. Skip. There we go. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, turn your attention, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. You see, when we choose and decide we want to change, and we call out to God for help, and we choose a direction to follow after Him, God does something inside of us. God unearths things in our lives. God reveals, God recognizes, God heals And He's the one that does all of that. He does the heavy lifting. He does the hard work. He just simply says to you, will you surrender? We say, God, I'm done. I give up. It's all on you. And when we do that, God invites us to meet Him. I read words by a friend that said this. They said, God helps me delight in the journey of the return. And the journey of the return is filled with fireside chats with the Father. You know what a fireside chat is like? It's peaceful, isn't it? It's soothing. Can I hear the insects? I might hear an owl in the distance. Fire crackling. Something about a fire. You kind of share what's going on inside. It just feels really, really safe. And that's what God's inviting you into. He's not inviting you into something that's weird or something that's odd or something that's frightening. He's inviting you to sit with the Father at the edge of the fire and be open to what He wants to do in your heart and your life. And so delight in the journey of the return, for it's filled with fireside chats with the Father. The son had to make a decision. Was he going to stay there or was he going to get out? He not only had to make a decision, but then he had to decide what direction was he going to go? His way or God's way? And once he decided on a direction, he had to figure out his destination. Where was he going to end up? And if you look there at the verse, verse 20, it tells us where he went. It says he got up and he went to his father. He got up and he went to his father. You see, help has a name and help has a place. And that name is God himself and his son, Jesus. You see, when we awaken to help, when we recognize that I don't want to be here anymore and we decide that I'm going to pursue a direction, the direction that God will steer us towards, if we're willing to listen and follow, is to His Son, Jesus. In this story, there's actually two brothers. There's a younger brother who we've been looking at his story, and there's an older brother. And and the older brother is the one that stayed at home, worked for the father, did what he was supposed to do, kept all the rules, checked all the boxes off. But the older brother didn't do one thing. 
The older brother never engaged his younger brother. Never engaged him. You know, it's ironic to me as, as I watch my own kids how sometimes things that my wife and I will say to them just doesn't sink in. It doesn't crack the nut. But their siblings can say the same thing to them and they listen to each other. They're like, yes. I don't know how it happened, but yes. You know, we're excited when that happens. Especially as they move into adulthood. But you never get the older brother engaged in the younger brother's story at all. You never have the older brother saying, what are you doing? What are you thinking, you knucklehead? You know, that's what older brothers say to the younger brothers, right? You know, you know. Who dreamed that idea? Who were you listening to when you can't? There's nobody speaking into his life anywhere along this journey. And then when even when he goes off and goes away, somehow the older brother, we find out later in the story, is getting reports back about the younger brother because he rats on him to his father. But he never went and found him, never went and said, what are you doing? You're wasting, we're wasting your life. Never spoke into him at all. And I kind of wonder if what Jesus wasn't presenting was a paradox of what the older brother often looked like and what Jesus was offering in this setting. What Jesus was offering is the elder brother who was there to lead his younger brother back into the embrace of the father. You see, the destination for this young man, the destination for him was the presence of the Father, was being locked into the arms of his Father. And it was the older brother or Jesus as the Son who would bring him there. The elder brother never went out and sought his younger brother and brought him back. Unfortunately and sadly in the story, all he did was point the finger and cast blame and point out where his younger brother had failed and allow his anger and his rage at not getting what he thought he deserved separate him from his entire family. Awakening to help begins with a decision to say, I want to get out of that. I want to change. I want something to be different. And it involves then a a direction of saying, which way am I going to go? And it ends with the destination saying, where am I going to go for that help? Where am I going to go for that help? Most of us have heard of Billy Graham, well-known evangelist, spent much of his life sharing the gospel in large events on stadiums, on TV. Um, some of you maybe have entrusted Jesus listening to his powerful explanation of the gospel. But there was another individual who was a part of Billy Graham's life back in the late 50s when he started his ministry. It was a guy named Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was actually the more prolific speaker, and Billy Graham was kind of his protege, the one learning from him. And, and um, in the, in, out west they would have these crusades, and Charles Templeton would speak, and Billy Graham would sometimes follow up with speaking and maybe do a smaller venue. But something happened in Charles Templeton's life. In the late 50s, he happened to see a Time magazine cover of a malnourished child in the country of Africa. And as he saw this picture, he could not reconcile in his mind a God who is loving, a God who is good, a God who is gracious, a God who is all-powerful with this suffering child in Africa. 
And as he sat with this and wrestled with this, it just churned on the inside. And he slowly started to step back from his involvement with Billy Graham. Eventually stepping away from working with Billy Graham, stepping away from his faith completely. And Billy Graham's ministry continued for nearly 60 years. In an interview with Charles Templeton recently, when he was asked to share his story, at the end he said that he was asked, do you have any regrets? Do you have any regrets? He said, I wish my life had not gone the way that it did. And when he was asked what he thought about Jesus, his eyes misted up. And he said, there's one thing that I know about Jesus And I really miss him. I really miss him. I don't know what happened to Charles' story. I don't know if there was an awakening in his life that moved him back towards Jesus.